So I bring you a message to make you conscious. Man must awake from the dream where he is simply an automaton. He moves like a machine, then he begins to awake, and when he awakes, then he is not that man at all that he seemingly in the past played for eternity. He awakes into a new being, a new man, Neville Goddard. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles and you're listening to 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find us online at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday, November 26, 2018, and today for 42 Minutes, we will explore our infinite possibility, and we'll do so with the help of Catherine Jegaday, author of the 2018 book by that same name published this past June by Tarcher Perigi. Growing up in London, Jegaday was always searching for a philosophy to make sense of life. When she found the mind and philosophy of Neville Goddard, she thought she had found it. Falling to a terrible crime, however, caused Jegaday to rethink everything she thought she knew. Rather than abandoning Neville's ideas, however, she discovered within them a new source of strength and fortitude. She not only rebounded from her crisis, but she also used Neville's creative mind principles to become a television presenter, something she had never thought before possible. Her book, Infinite Possibility, is a primer and introduction to Neville's methods, and Jegaday powerfully guides the reader through his techniques and explains how to apply them now in your life. Catherine Jegaday is a British television presenter and author with a background in science. She's been published in the internationally acclaimed science journal Nature, and has also presented two science series aimed at young adults for Channel 4 in the UK, earning a BAFTA nomination. I'm pleased that she's able to join us today. How are you doing today, Catherine? I'm awesome, Douglas. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. I was happy to have found you by way of a a tweet by Mitch Horowitz. It's interesting, though, because the program kind of at the end of summer, beginning of fall, was uh, speaking with Gary Lockman about his book, Dark Star Rising, and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of chaos magic in that. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Sorry. Chaos magic. (laughs) But anyway, in that work, he did something that I did similarly in one of my essays in the Sync book, which is kind of a tribute the the current zeitgeist to the scientific paradigm that we're in the midst of, almost like a mythology. And in that case, it's kind of this move from classical physics, the idea of certainty, to quantum physics, which is more about possibility. And so the thing that I really recognized when I was reading your book recently is that this idea of um, belief, I I guess I didn't realize what a nihilist I'd become. Do you feel like belief is important to you to adhere to this metaphysical philosophy that you speak about in this work? Um, Absolutely. But I, I just want to say to everyone that for me, Belief is that nexus between the world that we know, which is certain and scientific and tangible and real, and another world which is actually even more so or as much uh, as tangibly real and so on. 
But what happens is that belief is rather rather than it being this slightly um, a vague idea or euphemistic idea, it's about perspective. And we can train the human mind to recognize uh, certain realities for ourselves. So for me, that's the form that belief takes. It's not just asking people to have blind faith, but actually training their physical body to recognize new patterns and therefore establish for themselves a new framework of reality. And so then with your background in science, would you say that you have a scientific mind? In Only in as much as um, I believe in testing theory. So I, I don't mind what the hypothesis is. Um, I don't mind what the concept or the idea is, but it must be provable through testing. So I think if I make a, an idea or present an idea to you, to your audience, to anyone I come into contact with, it, for me, it has to have that backing of here are the steps. This is the methodology. And what I'm saying is that when you replicate my method, you're going to get very, very similar results, if not the exact same results. So for me, that's where the science has really helped me. But I don't try to apply scientific theories per se to any of the ideas associated with this philosophy. And so then in a nutshell, what is this philosophy? So this uh, philosophy is that we are conscious beings and it's saying that we can actually remember that. Once we remember that and we actually uh, reconcile with that as a reality or as, as a statement of fact, we can then start to unpack it and see how our physical experience plays a role in this, albeit, uh, this ultimately greater experience that we're having. So consciousness is not confined to the limits of the human body and the limits of the human mind, which is phenomenal in and of itself. But we need to actually understand what it is and it's possible to do that. And once we understand what it is, then we understand how we apply it or exist within it. The fascinating thing to me is that my interaction with new thought and new thought writers in the past, it seemed like there is definitely an emphasis on material. You know, it seemed like the aim of a lot of the maybe. And that's why some of these authors were so uh, there was such a pop uh, response mm -hmm. to them is that th it's this idea that you can bring material and in this uh, sense it's like wealth or whatever toward yourself but your your lens is definitely more spiritual like in nature is the way I mm -hmm. where I feel how would you respond to that I think that's um, absolutely correct I think one of the things that gets misconstrued about the, the role that material things play in this whole process is that what we are able to accumulate is just an indication of what we're conscious of being. So we come into contact with the things, we come into contact with the physical things that we consciously register, right? So what I'm saying is that my perspective, rather than it being from the human out to the spiritual, as though spirituality yeah. is an aspect of our human experience, I'm saying that the spiritual um, experience is absolute or consciousness and the awareness of consciousness is absolute and that this aspect, the human aspect, is a part of that. So I've changed, I've kind of reversed the way I look at things. And because of that reason, everything that I experience in the physical world is just context and framing. So it's, if you think about consciousness being without form, you couldn't give it a color, a shape, a size, a gender, any of those sorts of things, we can't measure it by any of the normal metrices by which we measure things, then we need some way of knowing what's going on. And the physical world is an indication of that. So we have agreed as a global community, Douglas, that this is what wealth and success looks like. 
And this is what poverty and different types of trauma and challenge looks like. And so if you are experiencing things associated with wealth, that's telling you what your consciousness is all about. But this is not about the pursuit of those things. I think that's the bit that, for me, that's been misconstrued by many um, New Thought authors, although I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying I see things differently. Sure. Okay. And so in your in your work a lot of the the language you kind of you you drape this in a in a biblical mm-hmm. cloth i would say and so mm-hmm. that's that's just kind of the viewpoint you, you utilize to get into this this philosophy so then you know in your estimation or in your application of the this philosophy you know what is god and then what is God's plan? And then uh, how does that relate to the idea of Christ? Okay, so God is everything. God is absolute causation. So if you think as a, a quantum physicist would be able better than I can to break down all of the elements of matter and all of the, the elements of existence, if you like, God is the underlying source of all of that. So for me, God is not um, anything to do with religious dogma, although religious dogma exists within God as an idea and as a concept. So that's what God is for me, absolute causation. Jesus Christ, which many people believe to be a a religious figure or the leader of the Christian faith, is what Neville calls the blueprint for the evolution of man. So if you think about it, the ultimate sacrifice that a human being could make would be to lay down his life for someone else. I don't know anybody who would do that. And what that's saying is that at the point at which you are completely detached from all of the trauma of life, and in the Bible that's referred to as overcoming death, death just means limitation, then you would be free enough to actually make that sacrifice for someone. There would be no limit to what you could do. And so laying down your life for someone else is a an emblem if you like of that being completely detached from everything that we hold dear in the physical world so that's what jesus christ is so i've answered what well what to me god is jesus christ i forgot the third part of your question (laughs) what is god's plan for man oh right okay so um we exist in deference or certainly those of us who engage uh, metaphysics exist in deference to this plan of God, which is not revealed to human beings. And the purpose is, the reason it's not revealed is so that we don't circumvent any of the steps that are necessary for us to have this work unfold in us. So the plan of God is to restore to human beings the memory of who we truly are. And we do that through growing through the process of life itself. So all of the challenges and the excitement and all the good stuff and all the bad stuff and everything in between that we go through, they all of these events serve a purpose. And the purpose is to exercise this creative energy, this absolute causation in operation. That's what it is. God is uh, consciousness in action, if you like. And so our uh, job is to just fulfill that. In the process of doing that, as our memory is uh, slowly restored to us, then we actually recognize the plan of God in terms of this uh, fulfillment, this great drama, as Neville uh, refers to it. So me, myself, I'm on my still on this path, right? I've had certain experiences that I'm really about that give me an indication that described but I couldn't say to you I fully know the plan of God at this point I feel that I am aware of the mandate that I've been given and this is for me the first step so as you start to engage in this philosophy and start to live by uh, live your life in deference to this greater plan it's slowly revealed to you 
Okay, so there's a couple directions I want to go. But one is this idea that you elaborate on the idea of what a nail is and how in Hebrew, how that the letter that stands for the idea of nail is one of the letters in the uh, in the word of God. Mm-hmm. The yod heh vau Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you'd like me to elaborate on that, right? Yeah. Okay, so this is um, a part of what we were talking about before. So you have absolute causation, which has no shape or form, and then you have us on the other side, which are physical human beings. And what we want to do is to take the formless and give it direction. And the nail, what that does is the firmness. I was just studying this in Genesis recently, and it says, let there be a firmament, meaning let there be a crystallization of an idea. So if you think about this infinite source of energy, which is just pulsating, creative power, having no form, it takes on form when it becomes something in the physical world that we recognize. And I was talking about that this world gives context to the shape that consciousness is taking. And so the nail is the firmness of belief or the conviction that we as human beings reach when we accept that something is true. Now, scientists will tell you something. Let me be very, very vague and broad in this, but in this analogy, but a scientist will tell you if you're sitting on a chair, a lot of the fact that the chair is holding you up has to do with your belief that that chair actually exists and that gravity and all of these other laws are working in operation at that time and you're being supported by this piece of furniture. So this is what uh, we're saying in metaphysical uh, terms when we're talking about bringing something material into your physical world. We're saying that this absolute causation can be shaped and can take on physical form. The nail is a thing that holds it in place and enables it to become physically real. It uh, is a spiritual symbol. Back to what I invoked at the beginning, this idea of chaos magic. And so that functions by the same principles of what, what Neville Goddard's, you know, mind as creator type thing, where if you, you know, what you bring, what you focus your consciousness on, you bring into reality. I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about our, like you said, you, so it's really strange to me right now that one of the mm-hmm. one of the little zeitgeisty ideas is that reality is not real. We're kind of like in this post-truth moment where mm-hmm. a lot of scientists, Silicon Valley, they're tickled with this idea that uh, we're actually in a simulation. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you think of that? Um, it, it's for me, um, I, I'm always reluctant to talk about things that I, I haven't got language for. So I, I kind of feel if I just start plucking vague ideas out of, of the air, it's not very satisfying for me. And it doesn't feel very truthful if I were to try to expound on that. So I, I'm not familiar entirely with what the, the idea is that, that we're in this um uh, what what did you call it? Sorry, my mind is <laughs> racing. It's, it's a simulation of some, or yeah, like a, a, like a vi- video game where. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that 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 makes sense in many ways if we think about um, the experience of life being elastic and changeable, and that we can and change it. But for me, I think as Neville says that all things exist, and it's just a question of coming into contact with things, right? And some people don't completely reject that idea. But what I'm saying is that as human beings at the very 
those who are just starting out with this philosophy, um, what we're saying is that your your perception of yourself is going to change your experience of something. So your perception, not just of yourself, but of other things, will change your experience of it. And so for me, at the very beginning of this journey, then at least um, if we accept that the world exists as we currently know it to be, or if we accept the general uh, consensus surrounding the physical world, then what we are changing in effect is our experience of the world by what we are conscious of being. So that for me is, is easier to describe than um, the more complicated stuff. Okay, so the other the other thread that I kind of wanted to explore is this that you, you keep using the word causation and that's a great word because so classical physics would say you throw the rock in the pond and then the ripples are going to go outward. You know, so mm -hmm. this, here's your cause and here's your effect. And for mm -hmm. me, for a long time, and I, I don't think I'm a fatalist, but it's like uh, the trauma of generations, you know, this rock that moves outward. And so the suffering moves outwards, whatever, it's, it's difficult where you can see in a familial line where some something occurs and then the parents pass that down to their kids and the kids pass it down to their kids and but this philosophy takes that idea of causation and potentially can reverse it you know so that like you said uh, about the chair we we believe in the chair or um what I'm what I'm trying to get at is 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 this idea that the world as it exists is a, is a response to what we're holding in consciousness. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So then how, how would you reverse that suffering in the past? So um, there is a technique called revision. So if we go back to your idea of, of this being a simulation and we can affect the picture, the outward picture by changing um, events from the past, what Neville says is that you go back, since all events exist in imagination, you go back in time, you, you're not going to physically go back in time, you go back in consciousness to the event, and you replay the event as you wish it had been, until you are persuaded, so you get to that point of the nail, once you have nailed the new image in place, what that's going to do is to put you into alignment with what your life would have been had that event taken place instead of the one you didn't want to have happened. And somebody asked in an interview, well, someone, you know, someone has died. How do you cope with that? If you think about what the impact of that death has had on you, if you replay it, replay the event, not necessarily to say that the person is now alive, um, perhaps to say that you were not as broken or as damaged or traumatized by that loss, what will happen is that whatever blockage you're facing in your present associated with that, that will be removed and you'll be able to progress with your life. But I do want to say, Douglas, that for me and something that I do try to say to people whenever I speak to them is that we really do misconstrue the purpose of the experiences that we have. We experience trauma for a purpose we experience good things for a purpose as well. So I think because people believe in the birth, life, death uh, paradigm, they believe that, you know, once you're born, you go through and you, you're allocated how many years or whatever it is, and then you die and that's the end of it. Then all of the events that comprise their life for them feel very absolute. But I do not hold with that theory. 
I actually believe in us cycling over and over again for the purpose of this infinite work being done in us. So we're not going to uh, be restored to um, our, our memory is not going to be restored completely with just one cycle. So some people find that kind of diff- uncomfortable to hear. So this is why I encourage take, uh, having the experience of this philosophy and, and engaging in the, practic- in the practical steps that I um, outline. But back to your point, not to digress too much, um, if all events exist in, in imagination, as Neville states, then it's absolutely per- uh, possible for us to alter those events and see the corresponding change in our present. And as a scientist, you took those philosophies and put them into practice in your own life and mm-hmm. have come away with uh, satisfying belief that the, that the hypothesis holds. Absolutely. It's certainly been true for me. And I do like that Neville says, and I say as well, that this is not something that you want to take at face value, which is why I place so much emphasis on people experimenting with these ideas for themselves. It's very, very important that they do that. But absolutely, in my case, I've proven what I've just described to you. So I'm curious, we've spoken a lot about Neville. Who is he? Who was he? Where, you know, tell us a little bit about what made him find these, these metaphysical ideas. Okay, so Neville was um, a man of English, Irish and Scottish descent who was born in 1905 on the island of Barbados. And uh, he was born into a large family which um, wasn't a wealthy European colonial family that had gone to the island to make their fortune, but they were there um, doing business. Um, They were a family of modest income. And Neville, as a child, I think he was about eight or nine years old, was spoken to by a prophet on the island who told him that he was going to do this work. He was going to be one of the messengers of this philosophy and that his message was going to endure long after his death. So he lived a very normal life, all the kind of teenage stuff. And, and then as a teenager, left Barbados and traveled to New York to pursue a career on the stage. So he wanted to be a dancer and an actor. And he had some success on the stage, but not a great deal. Um, a little bit later on in his life, around about the time of the Depression, he was introduced to an Ethiopian rabbi by the name of Abdullah by a friend, a Catholic friend of his, whom Neville said uh, that he didn't trust his judgment because this man had squandered, I think it was a $2 million fortune at the time where people didn't have any anything to eat. <laughs> um, so here he was, he met this man, and the first thing this Abdullah said to him was that you're six months late, that the brothers told me you were coming, and you're six months late. And he studied with Abdullah, he studied Kabbalah, uh, esoteric mysticism, the occult sciences. He studied the Bible as well. And the Bible is a document I love since I've come to understand what it actually is. So Neville was a pioneer, but he really does recognize that he says himself in one of his lectures, I didn't volunteer for this. And I feel very much the same. It's something that was gifted to him. So he speaks of this incredible experience in 1929 when he was in bed and suddenly he had this vision that changed his entire worldview. And he started to write by inspiration. He learned to read the Bible by inspiration. And then he gave this information of how we could have these sorts of experiences that he describes in his teaching. So it's been absolutely phenomenal. 
Neville is somebody I absolutely um, adore because whenever anyone reads his material, they feel that they're talking to someone they know. And that, for me, is further evidence and proof of, you know, the, the role of consciousness in all of this. So that's who Neville is in a nutshell. How many works did he write? Is it a lot? And is it, it it's not dense then? You say it's like talking to someone you know? It's incredible. He, he did many lectures. He had a TV show at one point in L.A. and he was on the radio quite often. And he did a lot of public speaking in different parts of America. Um, I think one of his early lectures started in Milwaukee. He wrote, um, I have all of his books. Oh, God, I can't believe I don't know if I'm on top of my head. I think he wrote about uh, 14 books, but there were lots of lectures. And so um, his lectures got um, compiled into anthologies and they kind of got circulated as well. But I think he only wrote 14 full length books, which detail the, the practical aspects of this philosophy. And then um, the lectures are, are there um, available. They're free online, actually, for anyone to read. So it, it isn't exhaustive. He said there was no point, you know, giving these long, detailed explanations about what was going on, because this stuff was going to be found out by you if you apply the techniques that he describes. So once you found out, you'd get the truth for yourself. You wouldn't need anyone to tell you anything. You'd know what you needed to know by experience. Was he able to boil the philosophy down into something like a soundbite? Yes. He said that the human imagination is God. That's, that was his message, and he used that, that sentence time and time, or that statement, if you like, he would repeat that time and time again, that the human imagination was not an aspect or a figment of the, the, the physical mind as described by psychiatrists, neurologists, and, psych and psychologists. It was actually this source of causation that we as human beings are just the instrumentality of absolute causation. We are here to demonstrate the infinite uh, creative capabilities of God through our infinite experiences as human beings in the world and that what we thought this this aspect of the human mind that enabled us to perceive things that aren't physically re real was actually this powerful resource in us as human beings that enabled us to make things real things that were not physically perceived we could make them real hmm. so that's it's fascinating in the sense that Oftentimes, artists, creative individuals, you know, they, there is that element of uh, just this this godlike, you know, an author kind of lording over his his work in some level. Um, I'm I'm so I've drawn a blank. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, you know, I'm trying to relax, but you know, you remind me so much. When I first did TV, I'd get invited to do speaking and stuff like that. And I would be surrounded by humanists and other scientists who were really, really smart. And I thought, right, yeah, I know I did science, but I didn't do your kind of science, you know, like in the lab, scrutinizing stuff kind of science. So I kind of feel like, oh, my God, I have to try to remember the <laughs> scientific lexicons. <laughs> what? You feel very, very scientific to me. Yeah. That's well, this, <laughs> it seems like f for me, my own relationship to things. I'm curious, it just feels like science is the mythology of our time, mm -hmm. and so, and it feels like we've gone from certainty to possibility with this idea of like, I realize 
uh, enough about quantum physics to know that I don't understand it at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like like Richard Feynman. But then I also am really fascinated by just the development of things from, uh, I I like to read uh, pop science books. And and so, Mm. so chaos theory and information theory are really fascinating to me because somehow they are communicating the nature of our, just our internet lives about this, like this all connected simultaneity. There's something, Mm. but then that speaks right to this idea of how our consciousness really reflects our moment. And, Mm -hmm. and through our technological connections, it definitely reflects, you know, our experiences. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think that's that's fantastic. And, and, and and I think the ability, I mean, the reason that, um, sorry, I'm, I speak too fast. (laughs) So you've got Mitch Horowitz who speaks as he does, you know, in such reasoned terms with such sobriety about this idea. And you have other people now coming up, myself included, speaking about this philosophy with such confidence because of that, the context, um, as you just described it, there is space now for these conversations to be had. Yeah. And so the other, like, this year in particular is really interesting to me in that there's been a lot of uh, great books that have just come out. So I was talking about uh, Gary Lockman was looking at like the rise of Trump, but he was mm-hmm. looking at it through this angle of chaos magic and like this alt-right actually tapping into these principles to achieve, yes. achieve their aims. But then you had someone, a uh, mainstream uh, American writer, um, Michael Pollan, who normally writes about food, is writing mm. about LSD and how uh, he's he's looking at psychedelics and consciousness and from a what would have been like a taboo is now, so it just feels like things are breaking down and we're being more open-minded about certain subjects. Yeah, Um, I agree. Dean Radin wrote a book called real magic where, you know, it's the same thing where he's taking uh, taboo subjects and treating them with the kind of due diligence science brings to the idea. So there is this strangeness about, scientific materialism as kind of a like a dogma where mm-hmm. you know <laughs> uh there are certain places that we won't go with science but i just feel like this year especially uh we're we're considering things that we wouldn't we wouldn't uh, have done so mm. Pre- i agree with you and, and neville had such a fondness for scientists i think scientists who are open-minded and i think um he knew Einstein personally I can't really remember I don't remember off the top of my head but he was talking about how Einstein when he sort of shifted out of his public life into his more kind of private reasonings and contemplations that he embraced many of Neville's ideas and it's so fantastic to see evidences of you know people like Richard Nixon read Neville's books and different people like that the relatives of the Kennedys and Roosevelt who would come to Neville and and get advice and and it was it's so exciting this this kind of uh, mirroring that's happening now that at the time people felt wow you know what's happening I think we say that in every dispensation is that the right word i don't know but it's it's so exciting i feel what you're saying very much so and i agree with you 100 percent. is there a good biography on neville 
that you could recommend? You know what? Mitch is writing one and, and, and he is someone I trust to write this book, but it's not coming out until next year. It's an anthology of Neville's works, lectures, but he's also going to introduce a bit more about Neville. And he has, you know, as an historian, he's been able to collect mementos and stuff. And, and it's going to be an incredible book. I'm so excited. I can't wait for it to come out. But he does. Um, there is a lecture online called A Cosmic Philosopher by Mitch Horowitz. And it tells you a bit more about Neville. But I don't think anyone's written an, an autobiography of him. He said, you know, to people, Douglas, he said, don't deify me. People would be so drawn into his magnetism that they would want pictures with him, that they want him to sign things. And he's like, no, I'm just a messenger of God. And so he didn't, he shied away from that very much. But um, I can't wait for Mitch's book to come out next year. It's called Infinite Potential. <laughs> like, uh. Which is not not infinite possibility. <laughs> it's like, why would you call it that? But anyway, but I'm still I'm so excited um, about that book. Well, so then I'm curious about you in particular. How how is it that you went from uh, like a science presenter, and then even in your bio, I think you said you were a, a property manager for the <laughs> the Saudis, the royal yeah, family. I mean, that was a great job. I mean, those jobs were temp jobs that I had. I was wherever I had a temp job. This is really this is actually true and verifiable. Wherever I had a temp job, I would be offered, you know, can you please stay? We'd like to offer you this package or whatever. But I never wanted to work in an office because I wanted to write. So I was just doing those kinds of things in the summer holidays or whatever. When I was at college, my friends would be going, you know, traveling or whatever or working McDonald's and, and I'd go and work for the Saudis. So um, I worked, I managed their properties in London. So in, uh, there's a, part, a very exclusive neighborhood in London called Grosvenor and you have properties there upwards of 30, sort of 40 million pounds. And my job was to go around and make sure that nothing was stolen, that the staff were happy, that the security was doing what it needed to do and all that kind of thing. And it was fun. It was just a lot of walking around very posh neighborhoods, <laughs> eating nice food and, and doing that kind of thing. Um, with me, for me now, um, none of those things are disconnected, right? So the thing that connects all of the experiences that I've had um, is this idea of consciousness and that every event that I experience in the course of my life is teaching me something. And so I would face a particular challenge and through understanding what that challenge was for and meeting um, the requirements of that challenge, maybe it was something that was going to teach me um, more honesty or more kindness or help me to understand how strong I was as a person or teach me about being less naive, whatever it was, that's what I took from those experiences. So I was able to move from place to place. I've had great experiences, the Royal Academy of Arts to uh, Sotheby's and Christie's auctioneers and, and all sorts of things. I worked for the Queen at one point in the ceremon uh, her ceremonial secretariat, and that was a wonderful job as well. But all of these things, they didn't... Um, they didn't impress me in that sense. They were great fun, but I was always kind of going away from these experiences thinking, okay, what was that for? Or what was I supposed to learn? Even if it was a difficult manager or I was too playful, I wasn't serious enough. I'm just seeing this as part and part of my part and parcel of my education while I'm here. Well, so the interesting thing early on in your, in your book, you talk about how, one of the one of the exercises is to speak to yourself as if you are god so you're you're convening with your own imagination which you which god had labeled god but then mm -hmm. you're you're uh, stating this certainty that 
you are the I am. Mm-hmm. And so, so with that, that exercise, that exercise was so important to me when I first started with Neville's work because I would find myself feeling things that were confusing and that I had no con- context or reference for. And so just by simply asking, are you really God? Is it really true? I would find myself doing what Neville described as rising and floating. And in those moments, I felt that anything was possible. And I don't mean that in a euphemistic way. I meant that literally. And so when I would find myself faced with difficult situations, I can't explain to you or anyone else, Douglas, how I was able to resolve something that would ordinarily have broken me down to the point of giving me some sort of emotional breakdown. Um, It's just being able to connect with something you cannot see just through feeling and have those feelings become so tangible and supportive that you're left um, in no doubt as to the truth of what um, you're being told with, with regards to this philosophy. So are you really God? Is it really true? Is such an empowering exercise. It's very, very simple. And it helps people to move into a space of taking these experiences or these exercises seriously if I can just quickly add, I I put on Facebook today that a positive mind isn't thinking nice things. It's actually disciplining yourself to believe that what you are experiencing is going to result in the best outcome for you and for others. And that takes a lot of work. It's not something that you do just by saying, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's nice. It's actually training yourself to reject the evidence of the five senses. And that's not easy. And and then the I guess the further elaboration of this is this, that exercise is becoming the Christ. Is that correct? It's absolutely part of it. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Because what you're doing is losing your fear. And fear is, as people know, a destabilizing energy. It causes you to to give up. And if you lose your resolve, then trauma is going to overtake you. But when I went through my own personal trauma, I was able to overcome by using these ex- exercises because it gave me a strength of mind. So I, I'm never in judgment of somebody who is broken down by a trauma. But for me now, I cannot relate to that state of victimhood because I am now strong. And what I'm saying to people is not that they are bad or, or doing something wrong by being overcome, but saying that you can actually reca- reclaim your power, your stability, if you like and reach a state of emotional equilibrium. Okay, so then if God is imagination and Christ is God incarnate, then th- th- that's the whole the whole thing there. <laughs> yes, in a nutshell, yes. Well, it's just so fascinating because this is really similar to uh, like uh, Crowley, you know, this idea of, mm-hmm. you know, the... Uh, do what thou wilt. You know, there's this, mm-hmm. it, it's just really fascinating that it's, it's in essence, it's the same philosophy. It's just a different cloth over the top of it, I guess. Yeah. But I think, I think for me with Crowley, I think what Alistair did that was not h- helpful was that he saw how he could use this information and this power, which is he could, he has the absolute right to use it however he wants. That's the thing to remember. So in this philosophy, there's not, evil doers and good doers there's just people who use this philosophy to whichever end they choose but he was very uh earth-centric so whenever you are like that you are actually limiting 
um, when I say that, I mean it becomes you start to consume rather than create. And, and this energy is all about creation and learning and discovery. So I think for, for me, his work involved um, manipulation, which is not something I'm comfortable with. But I, I see what you're saying. There is um, there are parallels there because this truth is absolute. Yes. OK, so then what are you working on now? So I'm just trying to finish my second book, which I'm really excited to say goes into more of the esoterica attached to what I have introduced in Infinite Possibility. The good thing about Infinite Possibility for me, the reason I love it so much is that it's it meets anyone where they are and it doesn't ask anybody to be anything. It's just, look, why don't you get reacquainted with who you are and here's how you can do it. So for people who um, want to do more, to go deeper for themselves, um, to have many of the experiences that Neville has described. I go into that with my second book. And also for people who are interested in doing this work in terms of helping others. Um, some people really do feel that call and perhaps aren't sure how they can minister to other people using this philosophy. I go into that as well. I'm so excited about it. Well, I am too. That was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. You're welcome. I had a great time. You bet. You've been listening to Catherine Jegaday on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com. We will link to her Facebook and her Twitter. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, check out others. It's current. SyncBook Radio archives are free. We also feature a great search engine to help you find what you need. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. If compelled, click click on the support link at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks so much. And we cannot expect life to be different as long as we persist in reacting to the same things. The practice of separating yourself from negative ideas, thoughts, and emotions in the midst of turbulence of life will, in short order, produce a new set of conditions and circumstances. Get ready to rise. Time I'm walking out I can hear you telling me to turn around Fighting for my truth
Sunflower I think your love would be too much Or you'll be left in 